Thanks for downloading this History Hub podcast. This podcast is brought to you in association with Globalizing the Rising, 1916 in Context, a major conference which will take place in University College Dublin on the 5th and 6th of February 2016. For more information, go to centenaries.ucd.ie. In this episode, a paper recorded at the Universities in Revolution and State Formation Conference, which took place in UCD Newman House on the 5th and 6th of June 2015. This project was funded by an Irish Research Council New Foundations Award and by a University College Dublin Decade of Centenaries Award. Podcasting was by Real Smart Media. This episode features a recording from the second panel on day two, 68 in the universities. The paper, Will He Be One of the Unemployed? Student Discourses of Work, Anti-Work and Unemployment in the Revolt of May 1968 was given by Dr Matt Perry from Newcastle University. And thanks to Connor for inviting me and I've really enjoyed the session, the session so far. But uh, So I'm going to be talking about May 68 in France which as, as most of you will know was a, a student protest that acted as catalyst for a general strike between 7 and 10 million workers. And what I'm trying to do in this talk is to try and uh, slightly shift the way in which uh, in t- in the interpretations have kind of drifted towards what I would describe as, uh, well, some interpretations at least, at least as to a situationist reading of 68. So the situationists are kind of born out of the intellectual tradition of the surrealists. So they kind of inhabit a kind of student, bohemian, artistic milieu and um, were very provocative in their actions and uh, provide some very interesting uh, commentary on 68, but have tend, because of, the, because of the, the degree to which they're uh, interesting for academics, they get disproportionate um, interest, and that's shaped the debate. And what I want to do in terms of the structure is to look at three forms of evidence and the way in which the use of evidence has, has distorted the um, interpretation of May 68. So I'm going to start with graffiti, and then I'm going to look at Posters and Sarah had one of the posters from the Atelier Populaire, which is the People's Workshop. I'll look at their posters, and then I'll look at the broader um, literature of 68, the student press, the student leaflets, and so on. So I'll start with um, I'll start with graffiti, and and uh, these are three interesting examples. The the top one is uh, photographed by Henri Cartier Bresson who is from the 1930s generation of revolutionaries um, and photographers. And the, it's a perfect encapsulation of, of Bresson's method in that he's interested in the decisive moment, the moment that conveys perfectly what the photographer wants you to know without you realising it. And obviously this photo shows uh, a, an, old, an elderly bourgeois gentleman shocked by graffiti and shot by the message. For those of you who don't have French, uh, jouissez sans entrave means enjoy yourself without limits, but jouissez has a kind of sexual connotation as well. So this is a perfect example of what the surrealists and then the situationists wanted to do. They wanted to cut the feet off the bourgeois. They wanted to shock the bourgeois, épater le bourgeois. Um, so that's Henri Cartier-Bresson uh, with a photographic record of 68 that tells the entire story, an intergenerational conflict, countercultural conflict, um, conflict uh, that was interested in, in art uh, and counterculture and so on. The, the second example that I have here is Il est interdit d'interdire. 
And what that means is it's forbidden to forbid. And this is a slogan that's been taken up and translated in all sorts of different languages. And um, this slogan has been appropriated by uh, one of the former um, leftists turned postmodernists, uh, Gilles Lipovetsky. He uses this to underpin his entire thesis of the way in which 68 transformed French society. So looking back from the 1980s to 1968, Lipovetsky used this motif, it's, it's, uh, it's uh, what's it, band to ban, it's, you know, it's forbidden to forbid, as the reason why you have this breakdown in the, in the moral code of France. The family breakdown, juvenile delinquency, the evacuation of politics, individualist consumerism, all of these things come out of this, this slogan and come out of the ethos of 68, which this perfectly um, typifies. So we can see the content of a graffiti shaping an interpretation. And then the third example is the one that I'm really going to be concentrating on, which is ne travailler jamais, and this, mean, this is never work. And again, this is... This has become a, a motif in the uh, interpretations of 68. So that, I didn't realise this when I uh, submitted the paper here. It's actually a conference, an entire conference, with the title Never Work at Cardiff coming up um, quite soon. Um, and my argument is that, really, if you, look, if you look at graffiti, you cannot simply appropriate content. You have to understand the form and, therefore, its relationship to the movement. So graffiti, by its nature, is anonymous, it's individual, it's brief, it's physical, it's visual, it's public, and it's illegal. So it can mean all sorts of things. It can be um, a contestation of public space, it can be a spectacular inversion of social norms, it can be poetry, it can be a symptom of the lack of access to movement has to the mass media. It can be provocation. It can locate itself within traditions of other social movements prior to uh, 68. Um, and uh, for us, it can be a primary source. It can be a historical document. So it's more than vandalism and law-breaking. And therefore, if we're going to look at graffiti, and I'm going to look at Ne Travail Jamais, we have to try and contextualise, we have to understand what, what, the, what the form means. So, ne, ne travailler jamais, never work, was not new, it's not novel. Um, so, this is the, the same slogan, written by uh, Guy Debord, who's the uh, most prominent situationist, in 1952. So, it's not new. So, some historians of 1968 have argued that the most progressive, interesting end of the 68 movement are being novel and innovative and original and um, foreshadowing uh, later refusal of work theorists, uh, this is not something uh, that's new. So this is Guy Debord in 1952. And it casts back to a longer intellectual tradition uh, as well. So it has to be located. Um, this is an example of some of the graffiti that, that follow in this line of, of the refusal of work, never, never work. Um, so never work be cruel, so a reference to Saad. Um, uh, so at Nanterre, the Sorbonne, at, at uh, Rue Sancier, um, a whole string of these 
graffiti. And we have these graffiti uh, for uh, evidence because of the anthologies. So um, we've got two of the anthologies uh, images here. Um, the purple one is interesting because the purple one is one that was produced in, for the two, 2008 anniversary and its title is May 68 uh, for the use of those under 20, under 20 years. So it's this idea that the graffiti tells you the method and the single graf graffito that you choose to put on the front cover is never work. So it gives this assumption that that was the essence, if you like, of May 68. And then the second anthology is an anthology that was produced almost immediately afterwards. Um, so the anthology... Uh, and the, the, the title of that anthology kind of says it all, really. It says, The Walls Speak. Les murs ont la parole. So this is the, this is the sleight of hand that's done with these interpretations. Do the walls of the Sorbonne... Uh, as Feinberg and Friedman say, teach their own lessons. So the anthologies render an individual act uh, timeless and universal. The act of a small voice, an individuated part of a very complex movement, they, they render it representative of the entire movement. So the longer intellectual tradition of um, the never work slogan needs to be explored. We need to understand what it means and therefore what its potential relationship is to May 68. And it's an intellectual tradition that, as I've said, um, moves through situationism. So um, the, the last three texts, uh, the key texts of French situationism, um, through surrealism, so André Breton and his manifestos and the, and, the, and the Situationist International Journal take up these themes, back to um, Paul Lafargue uh, and the right to be, the right to be lazy. Um, so Paul Lafargue's a very interesting character because he's um, obviously Marx's uh, son-in-law and one of, the found, one of the principal leaders of the... Um, French Workers' Party, so the introduction of Marxism to France, but he never really cast off his kind of anarchist, Proudhonist um, background, and therefore he's a very complex intellectual character. Um, and the right to be lazy is a really interesting pamphlet because what it does is it takes to task the French labour movement for what was really the um, central... Um, the first steps of the French labour movement were to challenge unemployment. So that there were insurrections in 1831 and 1834 in Lyon by the, by the silk workers, and their slogan was um, live working or die fighting. And around the same time, you had the ideas of um, Charles Fourier, who, who coined the term the right to work. And as we can see from the title of Paul Lafargue, uh, the right to be lazy is set up consciously in, in opposition to the right to work. So the refusal of work is a counterposition to the refusal of unemployment. So if we're to understand the place of never work within 68, we have to understand it in relation to the, to the refusal of unemployment. 
This is the rather grand setting for the People's Workshop, which is the École des Beaux-Arts, the Fine Arts College of, of Paris. Um, and they have the kind of the, um, the garret at the top. They occupy between the 14th of May and the 27th of May, so they're one of the last occupations to be evicted by the riot police. They produced 350 posters. They were, unlike graffiti, they were a democratic process. You know, you might say graffiti is democratic in a, in a sense, but uh, the Atelier Populaire was democratic in a different sense, and it was, it was, a, it was a collective democracy. It was a, an interaction between art students, art lecturers, intellectuals and workers who would come to the daily morning Assemblée Générale, the, the, um, the um, general assemblies, um, and determine what would be on the posters. So it was, it was directly responsive to events as they were going on. It was respons- responsive to different sections of the movement. Um, and if we look at the themes of work and anti-work, we get a very different response. There's not, there's not a single poster that has a never-work perspective on it. But there are, despite um, what Michael Seidman says, uh, the historian of, of 68, the imaginary revolution, despite what he says, there are, the theme of unemployment appears on a, a, number of, a number of occasions. So here we have an example. Uh, well, we've got the guy on the, on the uh, press producing the poster there. You can see the kind of method. But the poster that's picked out is the, the pace of work increases, les cadences accélèrent, le chômage aussi. So this idea that um, the pace of work inside the factory, the speed of the assembly line is uh, intensifying and that is resulting in unemployment. So the equation between the two. And then we see other posters which take up the theme of unemployment. And interestingly, we, we get a sense of the process. One of, one of the um, anthologies of posters noted that... Uh, the, the purple one in the, in the top corner, um, active and unemployed workers all together, which is what it means, was the product of, of an encounter between uh, people at the People's Workshop and unemployed youth from Corbevoir in the, the Parisian working-class uh, suburbs. But other posters, equally interesting, uh, stop unemployment... To maintain low salaries, capitalism needs unemployment. And then one of the cudgels that uh, de Gaulle has behind his back is uh, unemployment. So unemployment twice, actually. Um, So unemployment, hardship, repression, and uh, disorder, le chien So the third... Move on to the third form of evidence, which is the literature. And so if you take a wider perspective, if you... uh, try to read the press of the students and the, and the revolutionary organisations and so on, we get a very different picture from really either the posters or the graffiti or the relationship between uh, unemployment and 68. We find that it's actually quite a recurrent theme. So whereas lots of historians have dismissed the importance of unemployment in 68 because we all know in the 1960s is full employment and prosperity, um, this is not the case when we look when we bore down into the press. So there's a there's a, a big digitised collection, and you get 194 hits for unemployment, similar number for unemployed. If you compare that with um, self-management, which was which is seen as one of the key ideas of 68, autogestion, or as one of my students put it, um, 
autogestation, so um, autogestation, <laughs> which I gave Max remarks for that. I thought that was very inventive. Um, that gets many fewer hits. And Never Works, Never Work gets two hits, and that's one of the anthologies, the anthologies of of, uh, of graffiti. In the literature of '68, we we note that the unemployed um, are unemployment's targeting particular groups in the regions. So textiles, coal, steel, clothing. Between '60 and '68, these industries lost a quarter of a million jobs. So there's some the beginnings of deindustrialisation of France is starting now. So what we've seen is a completed process almost. Uh, today was beginning then, and region, uh, certain regions are uh, suffering the brunt of that. It's a preoccupation of the youth, so both school leavers and graduates uh, fear unemployment, fear for their future, and it's a, it's, a, it's a problem for immigrant workers who simply do not uh, feature in the figures. So 400,000 unemployed simply does not count the immigrant workers without papers, uh, irregular, who are often deported um, when they are made uh, unemployed. Uh, from the perspective of the regions, we see, um, we see a number of one-day strikes. So mobilisations in places like Nord pas de calais uh, in, in the west, so newly industrialising areas where you get a factory that builds a town around it and then the factory closes. These are the kinds of things that are going on. So we see a, a set of very militant strikes and uh, regional mobilisations over the question of unemployment in the run-up to 68. So if the story was a student story uh, until the general strike, then you could actually counterfactualize, take the students out of the equation and look at these strikes and these mobilizations. Now, um, we can't possibly say whether um, the general strike would have happened, but there is a, 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 a worker prelude to the, to the strike that's really quite often written out of the story. But I want to use two quick examples of the way in which unemployment becomes entangled into the, into the uh, contestations of 68. And the first is this question of the unemployed youth. So that the students start uh, mobilising in Nanterre and then uh, in the Latin Quarter of Paris with a kind of escalating um, violence with the, with the CRS, with the riot police. And it's University students, it's high school students, and it's unemployed youth that are kind of uh, the, the social milieu from which the, the mobilisations are drawn. And therefore, this allows an opportunity for the authorities to talk about, to target the unemployed youth. What are they doing there? So after the second night of the barricades, which is on the 24th of, of May, um, the Minister of the Interior, who previously was the Minister of Education, um, Christian Fouché, talked about uh, the uh, Le Pègre, sorry, uh, La Pègre, get my uh, genders wrong, still even today, it's terrible, um, the low life, the scum. Paris should throw up, should vomit the scum that dishonours dishonors it. This, this is how he talked about the unemployed youth. And then the movement reclaims the scum, re reclaims the peg. These are the victims of unemployment. These are the victims of capitalism. These are the victims of the authorities. 
And therefore, the, the, the movement challenged this characterization of the unemployed to the extent that Daniel Combendit, you know, the most famous of the um, student revolutionaries, said that uh, the uh, unemployed youth were heroes and much preferable to the married uh, male worker who would become a traitor to, to pay off his fridge. Um, so that's one example. The other example I'm going to use is, is a phrase, a motif that, you, that's, uh, that crops up repeatedly in the, in the literature of 68 and the leaflets and so on, which is the regime of unemployment and hardship. So on one side, we have this account in uh, Servir le Peuple, which is a Maoist um, newspaper, reporting on the, day, the first day of the barricades. So the breakthrough, the breakthrough event, what do you have as your title? A, the Gaullist regime of unemployment and misery. So unemployment is the issue that they want to press. So this phrase, uh, unemployment and hardship, but it's also used in, in this leaflet, which you can't see. But this is the leaflet that's reproduced in one of the leftist newspapers, and it's a leaflet of the, um, of the CDR. And the CDR were the uh, grassroots Gaullist organisation that was uh, an attempt to establish a counter-movement to the movement of 68, and which tried to prise open the constituency of, of French Algeria to do that. So they released a number of the people who'd been imprisoned for right-wing terror over the question of Algeria and so on. So um, in this leaflet, they use, the very same, they use the very same language, but they use it against the movement. So it says, act, French women, French men. The paralysis of economic life will lead to unemployment and hardship. So they're using the language of the movement, turning it against itself. So those are just two examples of the way in which uh, unemployment is entangled with, um, with 68 in, in ways that we shouldn't ignore because we're seduced by uh, the never-work perspective. Uh, here's a nice photograph which talks of these are the future unemployed. This is how the movement sees the youth, the future unemployed. So what does it all mean? Well, I think the first off, we have to say that the walls of the Sorbonne do not have their own lessons to tell. We have to, we have to work out how phrases get on the wall and who's putting them there. Secondly, the overplay of graffiti uh, overlooks some of the basic dynamics of, of of graffiti and the way in which this can lead to a, a, a skewed situationist reading of, of May 68. It endorses the artistic bohemian tradition of the refusal of work and sanctions its post-68 inheritors. Thirdly, it can result in a, a blind spot of the refusal of unemployment. The first um, issue of Action, which was the, 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 the um, student union's newspaper for the action committees in the high school, so a very important newspaper. Why We Fight, and the first issue, the first reason was refusal of un unemployment. Um, so we shouldn't uh, dis discount this. We shouldn't discount the right to work and the way unemployment was at the time, according to Xavier Vigne, an ancient and recurrent preoccupation. And perhaps most importantly, we'd miss out the extent to which 
Unlike never work, um, the right to work allows a dialogue between workers and students, between, the, between common preoccupations of the two. And this really is the crux of, of uh, the radicalisation of, of May. And then finally, um, the stakes are very high. The stakes for the future, uh, looking forward from 68, are very high. There's 10 years of worker insubordination. And one of the central themes of that insubordination was the threat of, of job loss. So some of those uh, moments that carry on um, the momentum of 68 are moments like the uh, working at the Lip Watch Factory in, 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 in 1973-74 and the big battles over the, over the fight to save the uh, steel industry. And from, from the point of view of the revolutionary uh, student generation, um, by 1978, by the end of that period, they were um, defeated, splintered, and adrift. Some of their cohort, less obviously, uh, from the elite universities, from the Grands Écoles, followed their star and played their own role in the commemorative recuperation of May, in part through graffiti. We hope you enjoyed this History Hub podcast. You can find many more podcasts at historyhub.ie forward slash podcasts.